They are 11 warriors. No, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom following day one of spring practice at Ohio State, where on Tuesday morning, we were there to watch the Buckeyes practice for the first time in 2023. And I would say it was a pretty interesting first day, Griffin. It certainly was. It was a lot to take in, Dan, of course, after a long hiatus between the last time, you know, we were able to take in some Ohio State practice. You know, one of the weirder things, Dan, even before we got into the actual practice itself, just perusing the Ohio, the updated spring roster and things like that was Devin Brown, obviously in the thick of the quarterback battle with Kyle McCord, switching from number 15 to number 33, Dan, which, you know, of course, sometimes guys will, will switch numbers. And you don't actually know if they're planning to, you know, actually wear that beyond that practice or in the season or anything like that. But from everything we learned on Tuesday, Devin Brown is, in fact, going to be donning the number 33 at the quarterback position. Yeah, Devin Brown met with the media after practice, along with Kyle McCord and Tristan Gebbia, the Oregon State transfer. And when I asked him, I said, are you planning to wear that? During the season, he said, yes, sir. So that's going to be, that's going to take some getting used to. It kind of makes me think back to whenever Devin Gardner was at Michigan and he wore the number 98 for, uh, it was like an homage to Tom Harmon. And in Devin Brown's case, he said it is an homage to slinging Sammy Baugh, one of the all-time great quarterbacks in the NFL who wore number 33. So I got to say, I know everybody's got an opinion on it. I love it. I mean, I, I'm a history guy, like as somebody who appreciates History, like I love the fact that you've got a 19-year-old kid who wants to pay homage to Sammy Baugh. Because I mean, like, be real, like if you you go around like the Woody and you like surveyed all the players, like there's a lot of them who like don't even know who like the Ohio State greats are. So to to have a you know because you know all the time you hear about guys picking a number because of somebody who's playing in the NFL today somebody that they grew up watching, but for Devin Brown to pick a number because it's what some guy wore in the 1960s. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Dan slinging Sammy Baugh, you know, revolutionized the quarterback position, you know, much like yourself. I, I've been familiar with, with Sammy Baugh for a long time, just from, you know, studying the NFL and, and the great players and everything like that. My dad was a fan of, of Washington, not that he was around for Sammy Baugh's heir or anything like that, but he he always knew about him and would talk about him. And so I so I I made sure to send my dad a text to to tell him that because I thought that that he would think that that was cool. And yeah, I would be curious to know, you know, even if, if Kyle McCord or or any of you know Brown's teammates at Ohio State even were were all that familiar with Sammy Baugh. Of course, when we we asked Ryan Day about it, he said that you know, it, Larry Bird actually came to mind as number 33 before Sammy Baugh. So, you know, that's another great player to, to, to pattern your, your, your jersey number after. It certainly will look strange, kind of, you know, an eyesore to a certain extent, Dan, I would say, but I still do like it. And it's, it's something different and it'll make him stand out for sure. And that speaks to Ryan Day's New England roots, him being from New Hampshire, grew, growing up watching the Boston Celtics and other Boston sports teams. So certainly understand why 33 brings up Larry Bird in his mind. I mean, I also think of James Laurinaitis. Like I, 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 I whenever if we get to talk to James Laurinaitis again at some point this spring, I want to ask him what he thinks of that number, because, you know, number 33, certainly a legendary number at Ohio State because of James Laurinaitis. And now a player who plays a very different position going to be wear, wearing it. And some of us were joking. Sammy Baugh, he, he's 
He's legendary, not just because he was a great quarterback, but he also, I, I think until this year, he held the record for the most best punting average in a season in the NFL. And I know he also led the NFL in interceptions at least once. And so I guess that means Devin Brown has to go punt and play cornerback now. <laughs> yeah, Sammy Ball did it all. I don't think we're going to see Devin Brown uh, do quite that wide a variety of things, but he certainly can can move around in the pocket, Dan. So he's not just a, a singular talent at the quarterback position. As for the actual serious quarterback stuff that actually matters in terms of the competition, I don't know that we have a lot to say about that after day one. You know, as expected, Kyle McCord was the guy who took the first reps at quarterback on Tuesday. But, you know, Devin Brown was in there getting just as many reps. There were times where he was moving up to the front of the line and taking the first reps. And we were ushered out before the actual team drill portion of practice started. And so for us to sit here and, you know, pretend like we have some grand takeaways on the quarterback competition based on watching them through a few routes on air. I mean, to me, that'd be disingenuous. So, you know, I, I don't think my opinions on the quarterback competition have changed it all after one day, except to say that it's going to be fun if Ohio State has a starting quarterback wearing the number 33 this year. <laughs> yeah, I think Brown is starting to become your your favorite for that reason, Dan. But uh, no, I, I posted a little clip of just... Uh, Unbi- I'm unbiased. I'm unbiased. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. But I posted a little clip on Twitter of just uh, Brown and McCord both like throwing throwing a pass on the run, moving, rolling out to their left. And, uh, you know, McCord's was on target. Brown's was a little bit off target. And I already saw people replying and being like, oh, man, hopefully Brown's not the starter. And it's like, guys, 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 very small sample size there, but pretty meaningless, just pretty much a warm up drill there. So let's not take anything we see in the first couple of practices here, you know, too much to heart unless we are seeing more of a, a competitive setting, I would say. Now, there's a lot of that today. I mean, the the amount of reactions I, I've gotten on Twitter today for posting a five second clip of Davis and Igbenosin, like doing one rep against a walk on in practice has blown my mind. But that tells you how hungry the, the fans out there are for some football. It's been a couple months since we've gotten to see Ohio State on a football field. So the fans are ready to eat up whatever content they can get. And, you know, we're certainly trying to provide some of that to you all. I think if we're going to talk about fan reactions, I I certainly think the next place to go would be really the first thing we saw once they got into the actual portion of practice. They, They typically start practice with a punt team, period, period one. And I don't think we were expecting to see Marvin Harrison Jr. as the guy fielding the first punt for Ohio State. But he did, and I think it's fair to say that the fan reaction to that has been very negative. Yeah, for sure, Dan. I'm obviously Emeka Abuka, who handled most of the punts this past season for Ohio State, is missing all of spring with, with injury. And, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't expect to see Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. I think the consensus among, you know, a lot of the fans that feel strongly about that is just, you know, why would you risk him at a spot that, you know, can produce uh, you know, heavy collisions on special teams could potentially put Harrison, you know, in danger of more injuries and things like that when you don't really need to use him right there. But of course, I mean, if you if you want to put a guy back there that that can certainly make guys miss, can certainly make big plays, then then it's a great idea. But if you you know want to play things a little more cautious with a guy like Harrison who maybe doesn't need to be in that spot, you know, then I'd say that that some of those concerns could be valid. But of course, you know, him him taking those reps, Dan. 
on the first day of spring practice when Abuka is not there? Like, how much does that really suggest that he's going to, you know, actually be the the number one punt returner when the season actually begins? Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Marvin Harrison Jr. is actually returning punts in games this season. You know, maybe if a Abuka's hurt and it's a really big game and they really need a spark, maybe you run him out there. But I mean, I mean, I, I do agree with the general opinion here that that's an unnecessary risk to take with a guy as talented as Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, he he doesn't fit the typical profile of a putt returner. And so I was surprised to see him out there. You know, at the same time, this guy is clearly a very special talent. And, you know, my follow-up question to Ryan Day after asking him about why Marv was out there returning punts was, are you looking for new ways to get Marv involved this year? And Day said, absolutely. And so I think that's just one example of that. I think there's probably a lot of things that will happen in practice when we're not there of them trying to draw up different ways to get the ball in Marvin Harrison Jr.'s hands this year. And that's something they should be doing because, I mean, we know every defensive coordinator in the country who's playing Ohio State this year, they're all going to be trying to come up with some game plan to neutralize Marvin Harrison Jr. after what we saw last year. So Ohio State should be looking for ways to be creative and, and get the ball into Marvin Harrison Jr.'s hands. Is is punt returning the right way to do that? Probably not. I mean, we haven't really, really, even in recent years, that that punt returning role, as much as people would love to see a big spark play out of that position, Ohio State doesn't really have its returners return the ball that much anymore. And so uh, I think, you know, if they were going to put him back there, really the main reason to do it would be just because he's so sure-handed and you can trust him to to catch catch that ball every time, which is job number one for that guy. But, you know, when I look at, you know, who's really going to play punt returner, you know, I think Abuka's probably that guy. You know, I think the, the guy I would look at and, and wonder if he can make a push there is Caleb Brown, because I think he's a guy that, you know, one of the reasons they brought him in was his skill set as a returner. And that's a guy that they're going to be looking to find a role for in the offense. I think if if he shows you that he can be reliable in terms of always catching those punts, to me, I think he would be the guy to maybe put out there, take something off of Buka's plate and and give Caleb Brown an opportunity in that role. Yeah, Dan, because Brown also played, you know, running back in, in high school and, you know, has that big play ability. And it's also just a, a job to give, you know, one of those second year wide receivers. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, what Ryan Day said about those those guys. But for that whole group that, you know, didn't get a whole lot of opportunities last year, given Brown's skill set. And, you know, hearing hearing things from 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 teammates and coaches and whatnot, that would seem like an, an apt use of his skill set. Although, like you said, so much of that position is just, you know, are you not going to fumble the ball in a, an absolutely key situation and, and end up reversing the field position in a big game? Now, of course, another position that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of months is offensive tackle. And we got some clarity there on day one. Ryan Day said that Josh Fryer is going to be in line to play left tackle right now. Meanwhile, Zen Mahalski and Tegra Shibola are, are currently the top guys competing at that right tackle spot, which isn't necessarily what I personally expected. I know a lot of other people did expect that. So, you know, I'll cop to maybe being wrong on that one where I thought they would keep Josh Fryer at right tackle. It looks like they are thinking, you know, put him at that you know, left tackle position, which is traditionally kind of considered the premier position on the offensive line, and then have the other guys battle it out at at right tackle. I I think what hasn't changed in my mind is, you know, I think certainly 
Fryer is a guy who they believe is going to be a starter. I, I think, you know, if, unless things go wrong, I think the expectation is that he is going to be a starting tackle. I think that right tackle spot is much more wide open. And like we've talked about, can one of those two guys seize a hold of that job this spring? If not, does that mean that Ohio State looks to the transfer portal? And, you know, I think some of this could be the fact as well of Ohio State thinking ahead and thinking, if we have to go to the transfer portal and bring in another guy, Maybe we'd rather have to do that at right tackle if we're bringing a guy in in the summer than to have to do it at left tackle. Yeah, Dan, I think they just want to have the the most known commodity, the the most sure thing that, that, that they feel in their mind at left tackle. So that I think makes sense for Josh Fryer. Although Day said that, you know, the coaching staff did deliberate about that decision a lot when deciding where to put those guys. So they do end up switching things up there a little bit. But Dan, how about just the, you know, kind of how Day was talking about Tegra Shabola as a guy. He, he said, you know, I'd really like to see this guy make a push. He said he thinks this guy has a ton of potential, that every rep he gets is, is really investing in the future, and that he thinks that's going to pay off. It sounds like he's seen some stuff that he really likes in Tegra Shabola, and, you know, that, that maybe he would like to see him emerge there as a starting tackle, as impressive that would be coming over just his second year from the guard position out to, to the starting right tackle spot. Yeah, it feels like he's got some momentum. And, you know, the same is true for another second team offensive lineman, Carson Hinsman, who was out there taking some first team reps at center on Tuesday, along with Vic Cutler. And it seems like both those guys, Shabola and Hinsman, even though they didn't play much last year as true freshmen, that both of those guys are going to get a real shot here this spring to have a chance to potentially lock down starting jobs. I did see, you know, Vic Cutler in there getting quite a few reps alongside Donovan Jackson as well. So I think, you know, he's very much in, you know, the mix for a starting job there at center. I I, I think with that position, I think both of those positions really, I'd say it, you know, much like at quarterback, I think it's just, it's really too early to make a, a declaration about who's ahead of who and, and who's going to be the starter. I think all of that is really to be determined, but it does feel like to your point of Shabola, it, it feels like he's got some momentum there where you know, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely not counting out Zen Mahalski, but it does feel like Shabola's got some momentum where, you know, maybe he's the guy who, who's trending toward a starting job there if he's able to progress the way they think he can progress this spring. Yeah, Dan, for, from my viewpoint, it was it was just physically hard to see exactly what all the offensive line was doing because they're kind of tucked into a corner. We're on the sideline there. There's a kind of a blockade of people that were blocking my line of sight to the offensive line. So from my perspective, kind of hard to glean what all was going on. And then from Ryan Day's perspective and the coaching staff's perspective, you know, he said one practice without pads, it's really hard to really evaluate anything. But I think the positive sign for Ohio State fans certainly would be that that Day, Day did say that nobody looked out of place on the offensive line from what he saw on day one. So that is certainly a good thing moving forward. I mentioned David Davison Igbenosin before. He he certainly looked impressive just on the, the brief glimpses that you saw from him. I think the thing that really stands out about him is, is his height, his length. He just looks a little different physically than the other corners in, in terms of how tall he is. Now, again, it, it's one day, you know. I mean, some of the reactions I saw to, you know, one clip I think were a little bit much, but you know, I, I think that, you know, just people, you know, see 
you know, the, the physical ability he has, you know, a lot of people were noticing in the, the clip that I posted that, you know, he's flipping his hips, he's turning his head, you know, those are things they really want to see from the corners. And so, you know, it certainly seems like he's off to a good start. Now, the other guy who I think very much seems to be off to a good start is Denzel Burke. I mean, we heard that last week at the NFL Combine when uh, Cam Brown was asked about Denzel Burke. And and Cam Brown said basically that Denzel Burke had a, a from what he had heard from talking to the coaches that Denzel had a different look in his eye this offseason. And and Ryan Day and Jim Knowles both doubled down on that on Tuesday, where you know they both said he had a really good offseason. And, and Knowles, he he said that he thought Burke got his hands on as many passes during the first practice of the spring as he did all of last spring. And so it, it certainly sounds like Denzel has responded to last year not being the year he wanted it to be, and that he's very motivated to get back to you know the, the form that you know people thought he was going to be at going into last year. And I think certainly if that momentum continues, then he he's going to lock down one of those starting jobs, and then it's going to be up to Igbenosin to you know try to beat out you know Jordan Hancock and Jair Brown for that other starting job. Yeah, given that feedback about Burke and Igbenosin, it was like, man, it must have been a good day for the secondary or at least the cornerbacks because they were saying Igbenosin was getting his hand on balls. You know, like you said, with Burke getting his hands on more than he more than he did all of last preseason. It sounded like a good day for the, the Ohio State secondary, but I will just say about Igbenosin as well. Like, yeah, he he looked huge. I mean, sick a six-two frame there at corner. You know, that was something they had with with Ryan Watts a couple of years ago at a six-three corner that ended up transferring out of the program. But you were looking for a second because he was wearing number 20 and you're like, you're seeing a, a super tall, you know, DB and you're like, whoa, wait a second. Is Sonny Styles out there practicing with the corners? And you're like, wait, wait, wait no. Styles has also now changed numbers to number six for the Buckeyes, Igbenosin with number 20. And you have to like what, what Ryan Day said about the corners in general. He said, you know, even with the returning guys and whatnot, it seems like they've grown up. And I know Knowles as well kind of said that, um, you know, those guys are all are all looking good there. And that, and that even the, you know, the, the transfer guys into the secondary aren't messing around. They're not playing around. They came in with a, a business-like approach, so to speak. So those all sound like positive things for the Buckeyes and specifically the Buckeye defense and secondary, which was, you know, one of the biggest questions for us coming into this season. And you mentioned Sonny Styles. He was another guy that both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles had good things to say about on Tuesday. Ryan Day said he, quote, couldn't have been more impressed with Styles' first year at Ohio State. And Jim Knowles indicated that he thinks Sonny Styles has a really good chance to emerge as one of Ohio State's best 11 on defense. So long and short of it, buy stock in Sonny Styles if you haven't already, because it certainly seems like one way or another, he's going to have a role on the defense this year. The question is going to be, is he going to lock down one of those starting safety jobs? Or is he maybe a situational player where he's a guy who, you know, could be almost a hybrid of kind of a box safety slash coverage linebacker? Yeah, Dan, and another guy that we have been talking about on this podcast about, you know, talented five-star guys that, that need to get on the field for Ohio State this season is CJ Hicks, who I believe you were asking Knowles about it and things like that. And, and even in relation to, well, first of all, the, just the linebacker rotation in the first place, because We've been talking about how much Eichenberg and Chambers dominated that, you know, the, the, the snaps this past season. And you asked Knowles, like, you know, is that going to be the case again this season? 
And he said, no, I'd actually like to, to rotate guys a little bit more. And he specifically mentioned Cody Simon, but then also with CJ Hicks, that, that would seem to give an, indica- an, an indication that he could make up some ground there as well on the depth chart. And Jim Knowles also, Dan, alluded to the fact that he's thought about using Hicks potentially in that Jack role. And, and he had a lot of things to say about the Jack um, in general, Dan, and about how you know it wasn't used to its potential, but he's still kind of looking looking forward to implementing it more in the future if the personnel can kind of, if they can find the right guy at that position. Yeah, you wrote about it a few weeks ago about how it, it seemed like Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson were almost at odds in terms of how they wanted to use the Jack linebacker position. Well, it seems like Larry Johnson won that debate because Larry Johnson had said back on February 1 that he wanted Jack Sawyer to stay at defensive end and not bounce back and forth this year. And Jim Knowles said Tuesday that that will, in fact, be the plan. But Jack Sawyer is just going to play defensive end this year. He's not going to play the Jack. And Knowles said that basically they're, they're not really going to use the Jack much at all this spring because it, it didn't. The, the role didn't evolve the way that he thought it would last year. You know, it was something that was a huge staple of his defense at Oklahoma State, but it just didn't work out the way that they thought it would last year. And so it sounds like they're going to focus primarily, at least for the spring, on those four down looks. Now, he 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 did leave the door open for the Jack still potentially being a bigger role at Ohio State in the future because he thinks that, you know, when the, as they're recruiting, you know, his own guys for his own system that they can recruit guys specifically to play that Jack position. But that's not really something they've done before with the guys that he inherited. And so I think you look at the personnel now and it, it, you know, at least those, those defensive ends, those true edge rush guys, those guys are better suited to just play as regular defensive ends. Now, the, the one guy who seems to be the big wild card there at that Jack position is Mitchell Melton, because Jim Knowles has now mentioned both of the times we talked to him so far this offseason that Mitchell Melton's a guy that when he's healthy, that he thinks has potential at that Jack position. And one thing we saw today that we didn't expect was Mitchell Melton actually practicing. He was going through individual drills with the defensive ends. Now, Ryan Day said that Mitchell Melton isn't or most likely isn't going to do any team drills this this spring because they want to be careful of him after he tore his ACL in last year's spring game. But the fact that he's back on the field doing some stuff is certainly a good thing for his development. And it does seem like he's the guy that if the Jack is going to become a significant part of the defense this year, that it will probably be because Mitchell Melton proves that he's a guy who can make an impact in that role. Now, CJ Hicks, also a candidate there. Jim Knowles said that he has considered the possibility of using CJ Hicks at that Jack role. But the way that he talked about CJ Hicks when he was first asked about CJ Hicks gave off the impression that CJ still not quite where Jim Knowles wants him to be for him to trust putting CJ out there for significant snaps on, on defense right now. You know, he, he was asked about CJ right after Sonny and there was a definite contrast in those answers to where he was talking about Sonny, like, Oh yeah, this is a guy who's going to be on the field this year. And when he was asked about CJ, it was like, he's going to be a good player eventually, but I don't want to put a timeline on it yet. And so I think just coming off of day one, coming off of what we heard today, I would not project right now 
that C.J. Hicks is going to be a guy that plays a major role for Ohio State's defense in 2023. But there's obviously still six months that that can change. Yeah, Dan, he said he said he w- wouldn't put a timeline or didn't have necessarily an expected timeline for Hicks's development. And just to circle around one last time to to Melton and Sawyer in that Jack conversation, Dan, when you heard Jim Knowles talking about an ideal Jack, he was talking about guys that don't necessarily fit into a mold or kind of like really good football players or athletes that are that might be tweeners, right? That, that don't necessarily fit a a stereotypical or a prototypical mold for a particular position. And that's what Mitchell Melton is like that. That is a perfect description of Mitchell Melton, I think, which is what gives him in part so much hope for his ability to play that role. And I don't think that that ever quite applied to Jack Sawyer. Like, of course, Jack Sawyer had, you know, some, some athletic abilities that would enable him to maybe drop back in coverage and, and do some of those things. And, you know, Larry Johnson had previously described him as more of a, a, a a finesse pass rusher and things like that. But I don't think that that was quite, you know, how you would really describe Jack Sawyer. I think that role certainly applies for, for Mitchell Melton, but you know, it it still remains to be seen what he can do because he's coming off of back-to-back, you know, very serious season ending injuries here. So he certainly probably has some, some ground to make up there, Dan. Yeah. And I think you, you will see, you know, again, in, in recruiting for the future that they might recruit more to that position. Like last week when I was in Indianapolis for the NFL scouting combine, I talked to Joshua Mickens, who's still out there in Indianapolis. And you know, we'll have a story on that on 11 Warriors at, at some point in the near future. But one thing we did talk about was, you know, what he thought his role uh, would be on Ohio State's defense. And, and he thinks that Jack position is an area that fits his game well, because he is kind of that tweener where he's not really as big as you'd like to see for a defensive end, but he's an athletic guy who who has some pass rushing ability off the edge. And so I think, you know, they can recruit more specifically to that position in the future. But if you look at the, the personnel now, you know, like you said, I, I I don't think Jack Sawyer was the right fit for that position. And, you know, just, you know, we certainly got the impression from Larry Johnson that, you know, he doesn't really think Caden Curry is the right fit for that position either, but he thinks Caden Curry is better suited to be a traditional defensive end. And I'd agree with that. I mean, this is a guy who was playing defensive tackle in high school. And so when 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 we heard last year that Caden Curry was going to play Jack, my initial reaction was kind of like, really? Like, it, it didn't really necessarily add up to me as a guy going from a high school defensive tackle to basically playing outside linebacker in college. He's athletic enough to do it, but I just think his skill set is more suited to being a traditional defensive end. But I did think what Ryan Day said about Caden Curry was interesting on Tuesday too, because he was asked about, you know, how good he looks in practice and the you know, potential to play more. And Ryan Day indicated that he really liked what he saw from Curry leading up to last season. He really liked what he saw from Curry early in the season, but he felt like Curry's performance kind of tapered off over the course of his freshman year would assume that's talking more about practice than in games because there just weren't that many opportunities for him to play in games. But that kind of seemed like day almost challenging Caden Curry a little bit. Like we really like what we're seeing from you, but we need to see you still take another step this off season. If you're going to be a guy who plays a major role in that defensive end rotation this fall. Yeah. That was kind of surprising for me, Dan, because I feel like every opportunity the coaching staff and people have gotten, they've, they've kind of, you know, poured praise upon, showered praise upon Caden Curry and his potential and everything like that. And, I, and I'm sure that that all of that is certainly still true in terms of what Ryan Day sees for the future for Caden Curry. But he was a little bit pumping the brakes there, kind of in the same lane like we were talking about with CJ Hicks. So, you know, maybe we're not going to see some of these guys 
you know, just blow our socks off right away at the start of their second year, like maybe some people are expecting. But of course, there's still a lot of time to figure out. Dan, another group, you know, a position group of freshmen last year that Ryan Day was kind of challenging or pumping the brakes on again was that that group of wide receivers that, that were freshmen this past year that we've talked about a lot in terms of, you know, not really knowing where they're going to fit in this season because of all the talent ahead of them and because of all the talent that's coming in, you know, right behind them, the true freshman this season with the likes of Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers, and, you know, Brandon Ennis hasn't even gotten to campus yet. And Ryan Day is already saying that the the freshmen are, are already making an impact and really starting to push those, those in, uh, you know, rising second year wide receivers, Dan. So that didn't seem like, you know, a, a huge vote of confidence for, for those guys right there. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that assessment. I mean, you just, you, I, I know that, you know, Brian Hartline and, and he, he'll meet with the media Thursday. So we might get, you know, we'll get his opinion on it then. And I, I know when he's been asked about them before, you know, he, he, like, I remember, you know, last November it came up and he was kind of defensive about the idea of like, oh, they're behind because they're not playing. Like that's, that's ridiculous. But it, you do get that vibe that just those guys are not quite where Ohio state wants them to be right now. I mean, I remember a Mecca Buka said before of a peach bowl in December of it, you know, those guys didn't, he, he, he basically said it. Those guys didn't start out the way they want them to. And the leaders kind of had to push them a little bit. And so I think definitely that's again, Ryan day challenging those guys to kind of say, Hey, you, you got, you got to show us something this spring because we've got some really talented guys coming in behind you. And I mean, you know, those guys, I mean, again, one practice couldn't really see much, but like one thing that caught my eye was I noticed like Noah Rogers was already out there running with the gunners on the punt team in the first practice. And typically the receivers who carve out roles quickly on special teams end up being the receivers who play pretty quickly too. So that was just something that caught my eye that like, Oh, Noah Rogers is already out there getting reps on special teams. That's probably a good sign for him early on. And so I certainly think for the, that second year group of receivers, Ohio state wants to see more from them and that they need to show something this spring. If they're going to position themselves to, you know, steadily move up the depth chart at Ohio state, there was some bad news for one of those receivers on Tuesday as Devin Brown revealed during his interview that Caleb Burton had suffered an injury during the practice. He he was not sure of a severity. You know, we haven't gotten any word on his severity yet. Again, maybe some more clarity comes Thursday because Brian Hartline and the wide receivers are set to meet with the media that day. And there will also be another open practice viewing window that uh, we will be able to attend. So, you know, maybe we'll get a little bit more information on that but certainly any setback for a guy like Caleb Burton not what he needs because we had heard at the end of last season that he was a guy who was starting to catch on he was making some progress but again needs to have a big spring after not playing much last year and if you know this injury does prove to be anything that would you know sideline him for a significant amount of time you know, that would certainly be something that would not be what he wants for his long-term development. Yeah, certainly hoping for his case, Dan, that that is not a not a long-term deal there. But, you know, in terms of pass-catching weapons for Ohio State, another freshman that jumped off of the field, in terms of just really his size alone, Dan, was, you know, a incoming freshman tight end Jelani Thurman, who, you know, I, I looked at him, I looked at him up and down, then I, then I take the roster, I'm like, what, what is this guy listed at right now? 6'6". 253 as a true freshman certainly looked 
every bit of that. And from the little clip I posted of just him running down the sideline, that seemed to that alone seemed to get a lot of people fired up in terms of the fans being like, oh, wow. I mean, look at that guy. He's huge. Throw that guy the ball. And, and certainly, you know, I don't know if if he's going to get a whole lot of opportunities just with the the guys in front of him with the Cade Stovers, G. Scotts, Joe Royers of the world. But physically, Dan, he was very impressive. Yeah, I think that's notable because, I mean, just think of a guy like a G. Scott, like a Joe Royer. They're going into year four and we're still hearing about they need to put on more weight. They need to get they need to bulk up. They need to get stronger. So I think for Jelani Furman just to come in looking like that, to come in clearly already bigger than he was back when he was in high school. I think that's a great start. I mean, again, what will it lead to? Way too early to say. But, you know, I think it it certainly makes me think, okay, maybe there is a possibility this a guy who could contribute right away. You know, I I was under the impression of it's a tight end. It's a very developmental position. It's probably going to be hard for him to get him a field in year one. But just to see him looking like that, you think, okay, like this is a guy who's clearly embracing the tight end role who recognizes he's going to have to get bigger. He's going to have to get stronger to be the blocker. Ohio state needs him to be in this offense. And he, he looked for part. And so I think that's step one. Now it's all about, you know, seeing how he can progress over the course of the off season, but it certainly appears that, you know, be enrolling at Ohio state early and, and already having a winter in the strength and conditioning program has made a difference for Jelani Furman. Yeah, Dan, there's going to be plenty more opportunities for us to get a look at these guys in the coming weeks this spring, even if I won't be there on Thursday morning because I'll be in Chicago covering what could be a Cinderella run to the Big Ten Championship for the Ohio State men's basketball team to be determined on that one, although we think that's probably unlikely. Dan, you have been doing some traveling of your own as of late. You just spent how many days did you spend in Indianapolis, Dan, for the NFL Combine? I was there for five days. I was there from Tuesday night and, and came back on Sunday. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of eventful stuff to come out of that, whether it was, you know, the actual workouts themselves for the Buckeye draft hopefuls or just stuff about, you know, the, the Ohio State program, the guys coming up, you know, the younger guys or just how things went, you know, things like that. So, Dan, what are some of the the first things that kind of jumped out to you, your your biggest takeaways from the combine? Well, I think, you know, num- number one. I got to start with Jackson Smith and Jigba because, you know, I talked, we talked about it last week. The combine was going to be an opportunity for Jackson Smith and Jigba to remind everyone how good he is. And I think that's exactly what he did. Him in that receiver workout, I was inside the stadium to watch all the Buckeyes work out and he looked phenomenal. He looked just like the player we saw back in 2021, looked explosive, quick, running crisp routes, literally everything that came his way. Every, I, I watched every rep he had in no ball thrown his way hit the ground. You know, it might have been one or two, but it, you know, he landed out of bounds. But every single throw that came his way, he he caught it. And they were not all easy, easy catches. There were a few he had to, you know, spin around and adjust to the ball and he made a play on it. And so I think it was a great reminder of how good Jackson Smith and Jigba is. Why I personally believe he's a guy who should be a top 10, top 15 pick in the top receiver drafted this year, you know, particularly one thing that really stands out for Jackson Smith and Jigba is he had the fastest 20 yard shuttle and free cone drill times of every player at the combine, which those are two drills that really illustrate a player's ability to change directions quickly and that lateral agility. 
And that's a, such a big part of what makes Jackson special. We didn't see him run a 40. He decided to hold that off until pro day. And so there's still that question about his straight line speed. But I think you, you, I, I still think you saw everything you needed to see on Saturday from Jackson Smith and Jigba to, to say this guy is an elite wide receiver prospect for him to be that quick and, and, and realize that Jackson Jigba is not a small guy. I mean, he, he actually measured in bigger than both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So for him to have that kind of quickness with his size and then his kind of skill set, and I mean, I, I think he's a special prospect, and I think he showed that on Saturday. Yeah, we were talking about you know Jackson Smith and Jigba's speed being a question, but of course, even without running the 40 time there, ends up showing some elite numbers in that regard. But Dan, how about CJ Stroud? Obviously, the, the top draw for the Buckeyes in this draft class, branding himself a, a ball a ball placement specialist, among other notable sound bites he had during his time in Indianapolis. And Dan, it sounds like he he proved that to be the case. I mean, certainly from, from everything I saw from his workout, he seemed to be dropping some dimes, but you were there to take it all in. So was it really as good as everyone you know said? Yeah, it was it was very good. I mean, you could certainly see that just from, you know, what, you know, very respected NFL draft analysts like Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler had to say after watching the workout. I mean, he he I, I think especially, you know, the the short to intermediate part of his workout, I thought was excellent. I think I I believe he completed his first 14 passes in a row. And I mean he was pretty much, you know, other than maybe one or two errant throws, he was pretty much perfect on the, you know, intermediate routes for the, the short routes. You know, I think I thought the deep routes, like I don't I I don't think he was perfect like i don't i don't want to like gloss it over and like just like pretend he was perfect because you can't say any anything bad like i i think you know i i think there were a few deep throws that i think he would probably tell you that he would he would want back just you know deep balls deep outs but he certainly showed his ability to make every throw on the field and i think you know just the fact that he was as sharp as he was for the vast majority of his throws I think certainly made a big impression on NFL scouts. I think, you know, without a doubt, you know, I was there for both quarterback sessions. I think without a doubt, he was the sharpest passer on the field. Now, Bryce Young did not participate in the throwing sessions at the combine. And so you don't really have that side by side comparison. Stroud was going right after Anthony Richardson. And so you did get that comparison there. And I thought Richardson had a good, good day as well. I mean, he, obviously put up some absurd numbers in the 40 and the vertical jump into broad jump. And so certainly from an athletic standpoint, Richardson's a very enticing prospect. Certainly from a college production standpoint, uh, CJ Stroud has a clear advantage over Anthony Richardson there, but you could definitely see the potential of Richardson. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought on the deep ball, I, I thought Richardson was right there with Stroud. I, I thought on the deep ball, I, I thought Richardson was just as good as Stroud. I think on that that intermediate stuff is where Stroud really shined. I think you know, he's just so sharp and, you know, really he was a ball placement specialist. Just putting those throws exactly where they need to be. Even when he's throwing to receivers, he's never thrown to before. I mean, he only got matched up in the rotation once with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that one looked pretty much perfect on both ends. But even when he's throwing to all these unfamiliar receivers, he still had that timing right, that anticipation right to put the ball right where it needed to be. And so that's not going to come as any surprise to anyone who who watched him for the last two years at Ohio State. But I think just for him to, in that setting, when you're there with all the other top quarterbacks 
to, to be the clear standout in the passing workout. I think that really cemented CJ's place as one of the top two quarterbacks in this draft. And then while we're on the subject of Stroud, I think it's it's worth mentioning some of the other things he said during his interview sessions that, you know, certainly raised the eyebrows of, of Ohio State fans for sure. One of those being that he said he that he he wished he would have run the ball more at Ohio State, Dan, which is something that I think a lot of people might have been throwing their hands up or rolling their eyes at because for so long, a lot of people were wondering, why does he not run the ball more, use his legs more, et cetera? We saw in the Georgia game, he's certainly capable of doing so and you know, had possibly the best game of his career doing so, making plays on the move, scrambling out of the pocket, et cetera. And Dan, he, he admitted, he, he admitted that, you know, maybe he should have run the ball more. What did you make of those comments? Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are thinking, yes, yeah, CJ, us too. We wanted you to run more. We we only said it for the last two years. But yeah, it was interesting to hear him say it. I mean, I've said it before on a podcast. One thing I love about CJ is he's he's always candid. He he sometimes says things he shouldn't say. He sometimes says things that it would probably be smarter if he didn't say it. But as a reporter, I love it because he 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 tells you what's on his mind and and, he, and he's real he doesn't he doesn't just give you canned coach speak answers he 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 he's not afraid to 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 tell you how he actually feels and so i thought that was an illuminating comment for him to say that yeah i i probably should have run the ball more and I, i'm sure a lot of that came from how the georgia game went and how well he did with it in the georgia game and i'm sure after that he probably thought to himself Man, why wasn't I doing this for the last two years? And, you know, I, I, I mean, the one thing I don't think we're ever going to truly know with that was how much of that was CJ himself, maybe not taking opportunities to run and how much of that was Ryan Day telling CJ Stroud, we really don't want you to run because we don't want you to get hurt. You know, I, I don't know. I think the only people who truly know that answer are Ryan Day and and CJ Stroud and you know maybe Corey Dennis and others who were in that room. I mean, you know, they both said and and I I don't say that to to paint them as being at odds with each other. I, I just say that to say that you know when they're when they're in the middle of their career, like again, like neither of them were gonna like straight up say like oh yeah I, I don't want to run the ball. So like we we don't know like. We don't know for sure, like what the thinking was there and how much of that might have come from CJ and how much of that might have come from Ryan. But we, we, we've we talked about it before this offseason, not necessarily on Tuesday, but when on in February, when Ryan Day had his press conference, he mentioned that he, he does want the new starting quarterback to do a little more of his legs. And then we heard CJ say that at the combine. And so. There does seem to be some recognition from both sides there of it. Yeah, maybe CJ actually should have been using his legs a little bit more at Ohio State. And I think for both sides, I think that's going to color things a little bit in terms of a next step. I think for CJ, I think we could see him run the ball more in the NFL than we did at Ohio State. And I think a lot of Ohio State fans, if that turns out to be the case, are going to watch that and go, why didn't he do that here? And then I think for Ohio State, I think they may be willing to take the training wheels off a little bit more for quarterbacks this year and 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 may let those guys run a little bit more because, you know, they they may re, realize that, you know, what that can do for the offense if the quarterback is running the ball a little bit more. And so, 
you know, it's certainly interesting to hear it, you know, directly from CJ. And it's going to be interesting now for both sides as we go forward to CJ's rookie season in the NFL and Ohio State's 2023 season, whether we actually will see them run more when the actual games happen and it's not just words. Yeah, and I also feel like he he kind of wants to get that on the record and show his willingness to run at the next level. Maybe if if you know scouts, GMs, coaches, etc., are looking at his college tape and thinking maybe this is is isn't a skill set that he has or he doesn't have a willingness to do it, and he wants to say no. Listen, I am willing to to do that to use my legs to run to be a more dynamic playmaker, etc. But Dan, another player for the Buckeyes that seemed to you know only help his draft stock. With his workout, obviously, I was not there for you. you. Were Dan Paris Johnson? We talked about, you know, the fact that a combine setting would probably really, you know, be be, be suited to his skill set because he's so athletic. And Dan, from from what I saw you tweeting and saying and writing about, etc., it seems like he he you know did all the things that we thought he he could have done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I I almost you know came away from it thinking. Man, why didn't he run the 40? Because he looked so athletic out there in the drills. But I think if he had, had run the 40, he probably would have only helped himself even more. But, you know, just watching him out in those offensive line drills, I, I thought he was the clear standout just in terms of how well he, he was moving. I mean, I from watching it there in the stands from far away, it was almost like, am I watching a tight end right now the way he's running? You know, obviously you see him up close in person. He he does not look like a tight end. He looks like a, a full-fledged left tackle. And I think that's what makes it so impressive is, you know, he went through the way in on Sunday morning you look at those numbers, you know, 36 and one eighth inch arms, you know, six, six, three fifteen. You look at those numbers and you go, that's a prototype NFL left tackle. And then you watch him and the way he moves on the field and you go, that looks like a prototype NFL left tackle. And then, you know, Monday morning, he does the bench press with those really long arms, which is usually a disadvantage. And he puts up 29 reps, which was tied for the sixth best mark among all offensive linemen. So I think, Altogether, I think he just kind of checked all the boxes there for what NFL teams are looking for in a, in a left tackle. And I think certainly bolstered his chances of potentially being the first left tackle selected in this year's draft. And Johnson's running mate on the Ohio State offensive line, the other tackle for the Buckeyes this past season, Dewan Jones, who's to just, you know, freak everybody out with his, you know, crazy athletic or, or just, you know, body measurements in general with him being so so large. And Dan also seemed like he ran a, a quite a fast 42 considering his size. Although, uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, when is an offensive lineman going to be doing something that, that equates to a 40 yard dash, you know, in an actual game, but it just showed just how athletic Dewan Jones is at, at his, you know, absolutely freakish size. Yeah. I mean, a five free five forty is not going to make him any money, but it's also not going to cost him any money because he's a 300, he, he weighed in at 374 pounds. So, you know, I, I give him credit just for running the 40 because him and Luke Whipler were actually the only Buckeyes who ran the 40 at, at the combine, you know, the free defensive guys, Zach Harrison, Cam Brown, Ronnie Hickman, they were all dealing with minor injuries and whatnot. They, they didn't work out at all on in terms of on-field workouts and then you know cj and jackson you know they they did some stuff but neither of them ran the 40 and then you know paris didn't run the 40 so the only buckeyes we actually saw run the 40 were dewand and and luke whipler and so i give dewand credit being a big guy you know going out there 
and running. I mean, I don't think anybody had expectations that he was going to run some amazing 40, but just to go up there and do it, I give him credit for that. And then, you know, watching him in the drills, I mean, he, he it, it worked out nicely with the, the alphabetical order where you had Paris Johnson and then you had Broderick Jones from Georgia, who's a projected first round pick. And then you had Dewan Jones right after him. So you had three potential first round pick offensive tackles all going right in a row, which really gave a good opportunity to compare those guys against one another. And certainly you compare Dewan to Paris. They're not the same athlete. I mean, I mean, Paris is an elite athlete by offensive tackle standards. You know, DeWand is not as fluid. He's not as quick, but he's also massive. And I thought DeWand looked just as good as most of the other offensive linemen out there. And he significantly outweighed all of them. And so I think that's why it was an impressive combine for DeWand. I mean, this guy literally, they measure five different categories at the weigh-ins. Height, weight, hand width, arm length, wingspan. Dewan Jones was number one in all five of them. So he was indisputably the largest man at the combine and still, you know, showed plenty of athleticism out there on the field. And so I think all in all, a, a good combine for 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 Dewan Jones that bolstered his chances of being a first round pick. And you mentioned Luke Whipler a minute ago, you know, kind of went in a kind of underrated in terms of what, what you would expect him to do athletically in a combine type setting, but it sounds like he had a pretty impressive showing as well, Dan. Yeah. I I think Luke Whipler, I think his combine was very fitting for what his Ohio state career was because you think of his two years as a Buckeye, he was a rock solid anchor in the middle of that offensive line, but he never really got a lot of credit. You know, he's playing on an offense of CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ameko Buka and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. And I'm just saying all these names just to illustrate all the star power that was around him on Ohio State's offense. And we talked a lot about all those guys. I don't know how much we ever really talked about Luke Whipler, which sometimes is a good thing for an offensive lineman, because the big reason why we weren't talking about him much is because he he rarely made costly mistakes. He was just a very reliable player in the middle of that offensive line, but you probably didn't get the credit he deserved. And then, you know, going to the combine, I think it was much of the same where, you know, CJ got the headlines, Jackson got the headlines, Paris and Dewan got the headlines. People didn't really talk that much about Luke Whipler's performance, but you look at his, his numbers, the performance he had. First of all, he was the only Buckeye who did everything at the combine. So you got to give him credit for that. And he has had a very well-rounded workout all around. His 20-yard shuttle time was the third best among offensive linemen. His 5.1440 was the best among true centers. He, like Paris Johnson, also put up 29 reps in the bench press. And so, you know, just all the way around, and, and particularly his offensive line drills, you know, I was in the stadium to watch him as well. And I thought he looked very fluid, very clean in those drills. And so I think Luke Whipler came out of a combine with a real chance to potentially be the number one center off the board, because you know most of the rankings I've seen have you know John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota and, and Luke Whipler being the top two guys. And if you look at their numbers, Whipler outperformed Schmitz across the board at the combine. And so I think Luke Whipler definitely helped himself. I, you know, I think he's still in that day two range as a draft pick, but I think he's a guy he went in as you know a third round pick, and I, I think maybe he comes out as a second round pick. 
And Dan, despite all the good stuff you did get at the combine, I'm guessing it was probably, you know, a bit disappointing to see, you know, just how many of those guys didn't end up running the 40. You know, we talked about some of them potentially being able to run crazy times, thinking about a Cam Brown aiming to, to run a 4-2 and things like that. You know, most of those guys didn't end up running the 40, but that ends up being, you know, kind of a good thing for us, Dan, because it, it, it saves a lot of storylines and intrigue and, and, and kind of high stakes for Ohio State's pro day. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of intrigue for that pro day coming up two weeks from today because, you know, you mentioned, I mean, we'll, we'll see if CJ Stroud runs a 40. I think people are going to be very interested in that. We'll see if Jackson Smith and Jigba runs a 40. People are going to be very interested in that. You know, Zach Harrison's a guy we talked about last week that we thought he could really be a combine star. Ended up suffering a minor hamstring injury last week. And so he wasn't able to, to do an on-field workout in Indy. But I think he's st- certainly a guy that people are going to be very intrigued to see what he does at Pro Day. And I think he's a guy who could still you know, give his stock a nice boost if he has a big performance at a Pro Day. You know, I think Cam Brown's a guy, you know, he he kind of needs a good workout to, you know, give himself a better chance of being drafted. So I think he was probably one that was most disappointing not to see workout. You know, he had said the day before the workout that he was feeling fully healthy. And like you said, he said he was going to go out and run a four two. So I I was surprised that he didn't work out at all. I, you know, I, 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 haven't had a chance to talk to him since then. So, you know, there could have been something that popped up medically and, and he just didn't feel right. But I, I do think that's a guy that I probably look at and I say, if there's a guy who missed his opportunity at the combine, I, I'd say it's him because he's a guy who, you know, I- injuries have kind of been the story of, of his last few years at Ohio state. And so I think he really could have helped himself if he could have gone out there and done a full workout and, you know, show him that he is healthy. And I think by not doing that, I think there's some pressure on him now at pro day that he needs to go out there and he needs to have a good workout really to improve his chances of being drafted because he's a guy right now that's on that fringe of maybe he gets drafted. Maybe he doesn't. And if he can go to pro day and actually run that four two, he's going to get drafted. But if he doesn't, I think his draft stock is going to be more in limbo. Then the last thing I need to know about the combine five days in Indianapolis for you. How much shrimp cocktail was indulged in? Just one, just one, but uh, it was good. Some had a, had a few really good meals out there in Indy. So it was definitely a great time. I'm glad to hear that, Dan. Well, I will be on the road as of Wednesday morning. We're recording this on Tuesday. So tomorrow morning for me, I'll be on the way to Chicago for the Ohio State men's basketball team's first round matchup, kicking off the Big Ten tournament. Uh, the number 13 seeded Buckeyes against 12 seed Wisconsin, who Ohio State already lost to by five points in Columbus back on February February 2nd, I believe it was. And so they'll, they'll get that matchup again. Ohio State has looked better in rematches as of late. The last three, two of those being wins against Illinois and Maryland, one of them being a much better effort against Michigan State on the road to close out the regular season. But Dan, you know, this is the, the, the only chance Ohio State has at this point to reach the NCAA tournament, which is a you know, seemingly impossible feat of winning five games in five days to take home the Big Ten tournament championship definitely seems unlikely, but not impossible, Dan. Yeah, I mean, to, to sit here and tell you that I think Ohio State has a good chance of winning five games in five days to to make the NCAA tournament. I think the chances are are quite slim, but I, I do think Ohio State can can win a game or two in Chicago. I think Ohio State's certainly capable of that. You know, I I would pick Ohio State to beat Wisconsin. And 
I'm tempted to even pick Ohio State to beat Iowa. I mean, we've seen Ohio State beat Iowa once, you know, did not play well in the second meeting between those teams. But, you know, I I think Iowa is a team Ohio State's capable of beating. You know, I look at a potential third round matchup against Michigan State. If Ohio State was to win that one and advance into the semifinals, I I think I'd be surprised. I, I can't say that I would. I would pick that one, you know, so I, I think I'd probably kind of look at it and say like, you know, my, my confidence that Ohio state can beat Wisconsin is probably, you know, about, you know, 70%, you know, I get to, you know, Iowa, I'm probably at about, you know, 50 or 50% about, and then Michigan state, I'm, I'm probably looking more in the, you know, 20 to 25% range. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't even know if I'm that con- quite as confident as you that Ohio State will, will get past Wisconsin. I certainly think they're capable of doing so. Uh, the first game was close, and Ohio State has making, taken a lot of strides since then. Wisconsin did end the regular season with a win. I know Chris Holtman thinks that, that Wisconsin's size could kind of test Ohio State's smaller lineups that they've been employing without Zed Key. Thinks that that maybe Wisconsin could, could try to expose that a little bit more. But um, I, yeah, I certainly I could envision a world where Ohio State wins those first two games and you know they did play Michigan State closest last time out but I don't know I, I think the ceiling is probably two wins for Ohio State as well and and you know Dan even one loss for Ohio State Chris Holman did say on Monday on the radio that you know in terms of if Ohio State was invited to any kind of you know other postseason tournament would they accept the invitation he said that's a conversation for another time even to get into the NIT Dan these days you have to be like 500 and Ohio State would need five wins in their tournament just to get to 500 on the season. And at that point, if they were to win all those games, obviously they would be in the NCAA tournament anyway. So in terms of it really is kind of win or go home here for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious what the what the fans kind of are going to think like constitutes a, a success here, because, you know, I think two wins in the tournament, you know, could be deemed success, a, a success for Ohio State. Are people going to be expecting them to to make a deeper run than that, I, I don't think so. But I, I think I certainly think if Ohio State manages to win three games, you have to look at at the Big Ten tournament run as a pretty positive note to go out on the season. You know, bring everything they've gone through to this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, it's a weird spot, right? Because I mean, anything less than actually winning the Big Ten tournament is going to be unsatisfying because it will most likely mean the season is over. I mean, Ohio State's not getting into the NCAA tournament unless it wins the Big Ten tournament. I, I think it's very unlikely that Ohio State gets into the NIT and Ohio State's not going to play in one of those lesser tournaments. Teams like Ohio State don't play in the CBI or the CIT or whatever. And so I think this will very likely be the end of Ohio State's men's basketball season. But, but you know, I, 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 I agree. I think, you know, if they can win a couple games in, in Chicago, I think then you'd at least feel like, okay, they, they, they ended the season of some momentum. They didn't quit. And, you know, they, they finished fairly strong. You know, I, I think if they lose to Wisconsin and that's it, it's going to be a very unsatisfying end to the season. And, and Ohio State fans will be rightfully unhappy. I, I think if, if they can win a couple games, you know, you know and, you know, you know, say so you beat Iowa, you lose to Michigan State. Probably going to come out of it thinking, well, that's about as good as we could expect from 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 Ohio State, and you know now it's just time to put this season behind us 
and, and move on to the next one. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, interesting to see. I mean, it, it certainly feels like a pretty uh, low stakes tournament for Ohio state here, just because I, I don't think that, you know, anybody realistically expects Ohio state to, you know, make a run and, and win this thing and get in the NCAA tournament. But I, I do think that it's still going to be interesting just in the sense of seeing what kind of fight this team has left in it. You know, we saw them win a couple of games late in the regular season. Can that carry over to at least having a performance in Chicago that they can feel good enough about? Yeah, as, as far as the women's Buckeyes go, they certainly showed some fight in the biggest comeback victory in Big Ten tournament history to beat Indiana to get into the Big Ten championship game, but then end up getting absolutely blown out in that one, Dan. The replay was just showing earlier on Big Ten Network. I was watching a little bit of that. Certainly a lopsided affair. And Dan, that might you know show you their contrast in two days, kind of the, the, the high and low ceilings for them as far as what this team's capable of. Yeah, I, that that's really kind of how I feel about this team going into the NCAA tournament is, you know, we've seen when when they're at their best and they're capable of playing with anybody in the country. I mean, I, you know, maybe I should say anybody but South Carolina, because I think South Carolina is really, really good. And so unless I actually see them play South Carolina, I don't know that I can say that they can play with South Carolina. But, you know, Indiana was the number two team in the country going into that game and Ohio State came back from a 24-point deficit to beat Indiana. So that was certainly a, a heck of a comeback win, heck of a performance by Ohio State. And the, the important thing with that is, with that, I think they certainly locked in their place as either a number three or number four seed in the NCAA tournament, which means Ohio State will be hosting first and second round games next weekend in Columbus. And so that's you know a really big thing for Ohio State that you know they'll be able to play their first two games at home. Hopefully they'll get you know a great crowd uh, at you know the Schottenstein Center, especially since you know, there's not going to be any Ohio State men's games to attend, barring some miracle in Chicago this week. So hopefully Ohio State fans will you know get out there to the, the Schottenstein Center and 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 support those Buckeyes. But yeah, I mean you know you, you, I, I feel kind of going into it just based on the highs and lows we've seen from this team where. If Ohio State, oh, I think Ohio State is very capable of making a run to the final four, and it wouldn't shock me. I could also see Ohio State losing in the second round. Like, I just think we've seen the highs and lows from this team to where it, it's difficult to predict exactly what we're going to see from them in the NCAA tournament. But we've certainly seen that when they're at their best, they are very capable of being one of the best teams in the country and making a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, how about the women's hockey team? It will begin its national title defense Saturday, playing either Penn State or Quinnipiac. Is that how you pronounce that, Dana? Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac. Okay, I just had to double check on that one. And in the NCAA quarterfinal matchup, Dan, any other notes for, from you on that one? Yeah, hoping to make it out there on Saturday to the OSU ice rink to watch that one. Ohio State, of course, the defending national champions. They did come up short in the WCHA championship game, but still the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, still the favorite to win it all. So that team looking to defend its national title, it's going to be fun to watch them over the next couple of weeks and see if they can get it done. 
And that's all going to start on Saturday. I, I'd have to say I'm kind of rooting for Penn State in that Thursday game just because it would be it would be a little more fun to see the 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 first game be a you know a a Ohio State Penn State kind of game. I think they played Quinnipiac in the first game last year too. So it would be fun to see a little different matchup and kind of a an in an in conference kind of matchup. Yeah, Dan, a lot of, you know, winter and spring sporting seasons kind of crescendoing here. And, it you know, it crescendos also with the spring football schedule. So it certainly seems like suddenly, Dan, we've got a whole lot to talk about here on the podcast, you know, and on the site. Yeah, we sure do. Ohio State football will be on spring break next week, but we won't be. We will be here. We will talk about whatever we learn on Thursday from Ohio State football. And of course, we'll talk about however things unfold for the Ohio State basketball team in Chicago and potentially the end of the season. And so we hope you will join us again next week. Thank you for listening in and have a great week.